Welcome to Critics on a Bus, your favourite film review podcast, with me, your host, Cameron. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of Critics on a Bus. <laughs> Did you forget the name of your podcast just then? I thought it was Critics on the Bus, but it's on a bus. <laughs> just a singular bus, this one. It's been a long week and it's only Monday. Right, <laughs> this is this is going great. Joining me joining me on today's journey. Hey, see, bus bus themed. Um joining me on today's journey oh. is <laughs> my long suffering wife, as it seems. Um Ashling, welcome back. Hello, hello. It's nice to be back again. Yes. This is um, three in a row now, isn't it? Yeah. So, okay, what film are we reviewing today? So we are reviewing Munich, The Edge of War, which is a new Netflix film um, starring George McKay, who you probably would have no idea who that is by his name. But if you saw him, you'd go, oh, that's the guy from 1917. He's making a little bit of a a name for himself in uh, starring in war films. Um, Also stars Jeremy Irons. Um, He plays Neville Chamberlain, the British Prime Minister. Alex Jennings as well is another one who's probably well known. He has been in The Crown. He's in this film. Uh, Mark Lewis-Jones, who also was in The Crown, is in this film. And that's about it in terms of big names for this one, I think. Unless I've missed anybody. No, yeah, I think that is the big names. We've also got Janice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nihauner. I would guess Janice... Nivoner from my weak, weak German. <laughs> yes, who who is German? Um, and live Lisa Fries. 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 Um, yeah, probably two other people we should just mention as um, semi. Well, yeah, Yanis probably more as as the lead um, yeah. for this film. Yes. So George McKay, the star of 1917, which might be one of the best films I've ever watched. Ballad. Um it, or, you know, yeah. Just absolutely robbed at the Oscars. But um <laughs> he's in this film and of course the legend that is Jeremy Irons um is also leading this film. <clears throat> so uh, Munich The Edge of War is based on a book by Robert Harris um and it's set around the nineteen thirty eight um, Munich conference between Neville Chamberlain, the French president, and Adolf Hitler, the leader of the Nazi party in Germany. And as... Mussolini? Wasn't the Italian leader of the Italian government there as well? I don't Maybe? know if he was there. I, I feel forget. like he was. And potentially Mussolini, um, as they have a conference to try and stop Germany invading Czechoslovakia for land. And the film centres around two young men at the time. Hugh and Paul, one English, one German, as Paul von Hartmann is trying to basically whistleblow and um, commit treason by selling, not selling, by giving some military secrets over to the British um, to try and stop the conference, to try and stop Hitler's war machine uh, begin across Europe. And Hugh is brought in by MI6 to try and retrieve said documents because of his friendship with Paul during the conference and try and deliver them to someone to make something happen. 
to try and, and stop war. The the relationship with Hugh and Paul and their activities is fictional, but the work of the governments and the conference is real. It has happened. That is a historical event. And the, the rest of the story around that event is, I guess you could say, fictional. There is some speculation as to there are certain people that it could be based around around in the 1938, but there's no confirmation of that. So we're going to say it's fictional. And so that and, and the film revolves just around that whole plot of getting the documents kind of working through that relationship and what it could could or couldn't do for um the war spoiler alert we did know the war happened if you don't know world war ii actually happened then where have you been um <laughs> but it did happen <laughs> but significant a, a short while after this conference so this conference delayed it by about a year i think they said about a, yeah but about a year not much but it did delay it so there's no spoilers there you should know that world war ii happened so we can stay clear of that. Um, so with that butchered uh, summary, do you have a fun fact about this film for us? It's not so much a fact, but just a funny thing that I've seen. So obviously, as I mentioned, George McKay starred in, in 1917 as well. And probably like the most iconic moment of... Why are you laughing? Have we got the that's same exact, fact? the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's so obviously, there's the iconic moment in 1917 where um, he comes up over the edge of the trenches and he runs along like the battlefield. And there's quite a few scenes in, in Munich, Edge of War, where he has to run as well. And so there's this whole joke going around on Twitter about the George McKay running cinematic universe and how people were big fans of that and just just here for George McKay running in films <laughs> and all those memes made me laugh quite a lot that's exactly the thing I was going to bring to it as well <laughs> Um, I did see, though, however, that apparently George McKay learnt German for this film. Oh. His character, Hugh Leggett, is fluent in German. He can speak German. One of the reasons why he goes to the conference. As a, as, well, he um, studied it at Oxford, didn't he? That's what he says. He studied German at, at Oxford, which is how he met Paul. Yeah. And so um, for preparation for this role, George McKay learnt to speak German because he does speak German in the film. And so it's him speaking it because he learnt the language not just That's read cool. the lines, he learned the language. So That's really cool. That's an okay. actual useful fact. Mine was just like, haha, I saw a funny meme. <laughs> I mean, I think the, is it called the GMRCU? Yeah, oh, George I'm on McKay board. running Cinematic Universe. I'm excited for it to continue. Let's see yeah. where it takes us. Um, <laughs> watch, watch I did see space. an interview with him where they asked him, like, do you specifically look for roles that involve running? And he was like, yes. No, I'm just kidding. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> is that from Town and Country? Yeah. Yeah, we're at Simarco. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so with that, let's go into the film. Let's start discussing the, the film. We do love, you and I especially do love a semi-realistic political drama. Um, yeah, this is very much drama. our vibe. We like to watch a lot of these kinds of films. You know, some of our favourites in this kind of style, like Eye in the Sky, Spotlight, The Imitation Game, you know, like obviously, well, 1917 is a bit more of a drama, but, you know, all this kind of film is very much like, I would say, probably our top genre to watch together. Yes, it is. And I was a bit dubious when it was a Netflix film yeah. because Netflix don't have the greatest track history or record with their films their films are quite good until the very last minute when they become absolutely rubbish they're kind of like you won't know about this but or for anyone listening you won't really know they're kind of like a maddie story you know maddie who has appeared on the podcast before she is an amazing storyteller until the very end when the story just goes nowhere it's it's such an experience and netflix films have kind of been the maddie story of 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 movies for a long time 
But I feel like they are bucking a trend recently. They're actually getting on top of this a little bit with some of the films towards the end of last year, like The Harder They Fall, which featured in my top 10. They've very slowly been getting better and Unique the Edge of War breaks that trend. It breaks that kind of bad trend of being just like run-of-the-mill rubbish they, they spew out. And it's actually a good, strong story, I think, throughout, with a quite a, quite a good kind of um, ending. Um, quite shocking. So yeah, I think why I think why this film maybe does better than previous Netflix films, and I can't really speak too much of it because I'll be honest, I don't watch an awful lot of Netflix films because, like you said, I often just look at them and think, oh, that looks rubbish or that must be rubbish. But I think why this film works so well is that it focuses on it. Ta- it takes a you know a story that we're all familiar with. You know, most people are aware of the historical events that happened around World War Two, but it gives it that sort of personal edge. You meet Paul and Hugh when they're students at university, and then it primarily kind of follows Hugh as he. You you know, moves into his career in politics and how he ends up kind of coming back across Paul later on in his life and um, in his career and their friend Lena as well. And I think it, it's having that sort of personal involvement with how the story, the you know, the story of these historical events kind of affects them personally and affects them directly is, I think, what kind of brings the best out of this film. Yeah, this this film also, I, I feel, in a way, charges some untouched territory in the Chamberlain story. When people think of the war um, from an allied side of the, the story, obviously we think of Churchill and all the work he did during the war. You never think about the person beforehand. Neville Chamberlain is, a, I think, I consider quite a controversial figure in British politics, um, especially because he was in charge ultimately when we got led into war. No, Churchill was in power because he was the one who gave that famous speech, like, we've got to inform you that we're at war. But I think a lot of people sort of blame Chamberlain for not seeing Hitler for what he was sooner. Mm. They say that he turned a blind eye to a lot of what Hitler did and essentially which is kind of what this film shows in in some way. Yeah, I think because they they do portray Neville Chamberlain as kind of a sympathetic character. Yeah. In very that much so. His ultimate goal through the whole film is to avoid war. He does. Like the the way that he's written, his whole mantra is that he's lived through one great war and he wants to avoid living through or forcing another generation into a second one so soon. And his entire goal is to basically peace, speak to, negotiate with Hitler to avoid conflict at any cost in the short term, in hope in in the hope that it'll become a long term um solution. Yeah. And you you can see that for him, that's his that is his only goal. That's his only objective, regardless of external consequences. So throughout the film, they get possession of the documents they're trying to do. This letter that shows that Hitler wants conquest, that the Czechoslovakia is just the start of it. And he's going to try and take over all of the Germany, the Europe and the world for his party. And, and Chamberlain just sort of goes, forget this. I'm focusing on just saving this one moment in time. I don't need to think about this. This has nothing to do with me right now. It's in the future. That's a potential timeline almost. And I just need to focus on what I'm doing. I think some of the kind of commentary I've seen around the film is that, you know, as you said, typically Chamberlain's boot is a very like controversial crazy from what I understand he's not very well liked as a you know historical figure in British politics. And this film is, as you said, very sympathetic to Chamberlain. I think part of the idea is maybe to show him and his actions in a little bit more um, of a positive light. You know, at the end of the film, it talks about how the work done in at the Munich conference that like delayed World War II by 
at least a year or more, which, as we, we kind of mentioned, you know, when we were watching the film, kind of gave Britain the opportunity to get ready for war if, you know, if they had ended up going to war in 1938 realistically would they have been ready would they have had the supplies would you know would we not be living in a very very different Europe um, than the one that we do and so yeah I think this film tries to just you know maybe shed a little bit of a different show a different angle to to Chamberlain's position and kind of how he went about things mm, yeah and I think yeah we I I know how I felt after this film that I always I measure how good these kind of real life dramas are by how silent and competitive contemplative contemplative thank you how (laughs) how silent and contemplative i am after the film generally these films end with text they give you some um later historical context and those if i'm sitting there thinking wow yeah that's that's a that's a big moment then the film has done its job for me i need to you know be really reflective on the film afterwards and I, i feel like i did that and you you realize I'm not a history buff by any means. Okay, no. I did not know the like conference Paul, was a thing. No, and I feel like Paul will be tearing his hair out listening to this, <laughs> listening to the two of us probably butchering facts about World War Two, and <laughs> be like, no. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, but I do think that it's crazy that you know this one meeting, this two days in essence, the film is set in a really short time period uh, yeah. the actual main story is set across maybe three days worth of mm-hmm. of history from them doing this kind of radio broadcast about you know we'll be forced into to defend Czechoslovakia if he invades he invades tomorrow let's ask Italy for some help because he likes Mussolini they intervene they go he wants to see us tomorrow in Munich they fly to Munich they have the conference the next day they sign almost thing and, and walk away so there's about a three days timeline for this film and you realize how close we were how close Europe was to utter devastation that those three days were crucial to potentially the the, the the eventual downfall of the Nazi party and and just how fragile that war was um, and the state of the countries and state of Europe and the world was at the po- at the time but the film has an interesting structure in that it's kind of split into two really isn't it and that kind of merge into one towards the end um, so we follow Hugh Leggett and the and the British side of the storyline about Hugh Leggett is the private secretary of um, Neville Chamberlain and his work and their kind of efforts to work with the Nazi party and get their signature. And then you, f- then you follow the German side of the story, Paul von Hartmann, who um, is a translator in the Foreign Office. And he was uh, a supporter of the Nazi party at the beginning. He was, um, he was... He was a supporter of Hitler in kind of the early days when he was first coming to power. And then he got into power and then Paul realized he was basically a, a lunatic and a madman and was part of a secret group society organization and within government hoping to take down Hitler before he did some real damage and his story and his life-threatening mission to release these documents to the British to avoid war and whenever you're with Paul's team you they speak exclusively German the film is subtitled which I think it's very necessary that we like West Side Story has no Spanish subtitles because they want, you know, Steven Spielberg wanted people just to like live the language. But I think with this, such a intense subject matter, the subtitles yeah. were necessary. There's <laughs> um, there's too many intricate plot points um, in this to just kind of let it be what it is. There's too, there's too much, you know, 
key dialogue for the film that actually happens in German for it to not be subtitled. But I think that's an interesting, it's one of the interesting facets of the film is that it, like you said, it really does show both sides. But the, but the two narratives work together, like in parallel as we go towards them, them kind of joining and then they become one story um, in towards the end. And so that's a really interesting, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite choppy or changey, really. It, no. For the story, it makes complete sense, which I think itself is quite an achievement. Yeah, and I think I think it works because as much as this film is set against the backdrop of these historical events, it's very much the story of these two friends who have very opposing political views initially, and then kind of how their lives progress and how certainly for Paul, his views change and kind of what difference that makes to their careers and to essentially you know the world and the politics of of europe as a whole yes because it sets out in the film that um, hugh and paul fell out in munich at one point because paul was like paul and lena who at the time was they they were were in a relationship yeah they were in the relationship but they had a different views over the nazi party lena being against paul being supportive and hugh also being against the nazi party and that sort of created this incredible tension where they hadn't spoken in many years and so um when he was asked to go with chamberlain to munich and to meet paul because paul will only hand the documents over to hugh it's that kind of like well, we're not we're not friends we haven't spoken in years because we had this yeah. huge fallout and you get to see that fallout and you get to see kind of re- kind of really understand that position so one of the things this film does really well is tension I felt very tense through quite a few scenes of this film, especially whenever Hitler was on the screen. (laughs) There was just something about the way they framed the scenes with Hitler that just had me on edge. I just half expected him to just just kill someone at a random time. You know, that's really You just kind of expect him to whip out a gun and like shoot people in the face, which like that's not who he was. Like he was very sneaky about all the horrible things that he did. I think I think that's what works so well about it, isn't it? Is that like we we all know it's the idea of like the audience know the the bigger picture here. The audience knows something that's going on that maybe the characters on screen don't know. And so it just adds that level of stress because you just yeah, you just sit there thinking, like, oh my gosh, like this this man's done all these things and Oh, and he's just stood in that room and it's yeah it's it's stressful <laughs> yeah and, and this is quite oh, he's, he's he's interesting because he's quite aggressive but mm. from a distance he's very verbally aggressive he's very confident and yeah and um because you know obviously that um paul von hartman is doing what he's doing and he's so close to hitler in this film as you know he has private meet he has you know a few private meetings with him while he literally has the document on him or while he tried you know he's about to try and assassinate hitler and he has the gun like right behind a piece of paper and it's it's so tense and you just i think because you know that hitler survives and leads into war it's like do they kill him you know it's it's, and and there's that kind of air of not knowing and because hitler just has in this film he just has this utter just creepy yeah Yeah. evil confidence in him that you just sets you on edge it's fantastic really yeah, I I I'd ha- I kind of half found myself almost holding my breath whenever yeah. he was on screen. Yeah. Just like oh, he's there. Yeah, um, and in, and there's even I mean there's a couple of moments that are quite tense like that even for Hugh's character. You know, it doesn't the tension doesn't all stem just from Hitler. There's there's quite a few moments as well where you kind of 
following Hugh doing something or talking to someone and you really don't know how the conversation is going to go and again you kind of find yourself holding your breath thinking like oh my goodness what what is going to happen here um yeah. and I think that's one of the one of the things this film does really really well yeah it's just it is it is a really well kind of crafted film and I, I will say it's a little bit of a slow burn yeah it's it's really not the fastest thing you'll ever see. No, because it's I mean it, it's an it's not an action film. It's it's essentially a film about espionage, and espionage is not. It's a political thriller, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's not really like James Bond. <laughs> it's very very different, and so you, there's there's a lot of like intricacies in the plot that you really have to pay attention to to understand what's going on and to keep up with with the plot. And so in that sense, yeah, it, it is a little bit of a slow burn even though there's lots happening at the same time. The plot moves along relatively slowly, but I feel like you don't think about it when it's happening because you're just kind of wondering what's going to happen next and kind of, you know, following the the polar opposites of these two friends. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's shot very well. It's framed very well to kind of give you that sense of pace or urgency or tension exactly where it's needed to. Mm-hmm. And I want to focus a little bit more now, just talking a bit about the about the casting, about the characters. Um, we, we spoke briefly about George McKay, um, the star of 1917. And then we have him doing another war film, this time the second World War instead of the first. And he does a good performance. He's becoming quite a leading man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's only done a handful of feature films and he's able to, to kind of give this. He does... He is portraying not the most emotional of, of actors. You don't see a lot of range from him, I will say. Um, I know his, yeah. char- his character is written to be quite distant and it's made like a point that, yeah. you know, you are, you know, you are, you know, he was very distant from people, very closed off and, and doesn't like, let people in very much. And But I, I do, you don't necessarily see a lot of range from George in this film. But again, that is... Yeah kind of the character but yeah i definitely think that's much more a thing of the the script and who the character is than necessarily him as an actor so it would be i yeah i think it'll be interesting to see him do something maybe completely different but regardless he does he does this well he does he does a war film good <laughs> yeah he does, does a war film good <laughs> he does a war film good um i think yanis is excellent as paul von hartman i think he potentially just a bit stronger than George in my opinion I think that comes down to their characters and this is Mm. kind of touched on quite a lot during the film is that you know Hugh is very sort of like you said very reserved and sort of closed off emotionally whereas Paul is is much more open with his emotions and quite often during the film you see him get quite sort of like riled up and fired up and you know really like excited or you know very sort of enthused about different things sometimes positively sometimes negatively and so I think yes to some extent you know he is a a stronger personality but I think that is just who the characters are supposed to be yeah but I think together they match off really well yeah yeah and they're able you know they're able to really kind of control the scenes and you know, they have a work. great dynamic together, yeah. Yeah, they really do. And I think that is a great strength of the film and, and you kind of really sells you the, the story almost mm-hmm. that they are estranged friends and the, the things that they're doing and they are novices. They have no idea what they're doing or how to, you know, conduct um, yeah. international espionage and they're just kind of <laughs> figuring out and, and hoping for the best. I think actually just in, in thinking about it, one area that you maybe do see a little bit more range from um, from George is when they go to visit um, 
Lena. Um, so to kind of just for a little bit of plot context, kind of early on when Hugh and Paul meet at the conference, uh, he asks him, like, where's Lena? And Paul says, we don't, we don't speak anymore. And then after, kind of towards the end of the trip, after, is, I think it's after, isn't it? After he takes him to meet Chamberlain and show him the documents, he comes yeah. back and says, like, come with me. And he takes him to go and see Lena. And now con- something that we're not told early on in the film, but you understand kind of towards the end, is that Lena was actually... Uh, Jewish German and you go to see her and obviously Lena is in a very bad way um, because she's been attacked and abused and um, had some horrific things done to her by the Nazis and Paul essentially explains to Hugh you know I really thought that he's like I kind of knew that Hitler was a, a bit of a racist but I thought it could all be put to one side for the good of the politics for the good of Germany he's like but if they're capable of that you know they're capable of anything and in that scene and that sequence where they have this discussion and how Paul tells Hugh that he's going to do whatever he can do if it even if it means you know getting killed to stop Hitler I think that's where you start to see a little bit more of George's range where he's reacting to this and trying to take it all in and that kind of thing which again is difficult because his character is still quite closed off but you do see much more emotion from him then and you see him trying to go through trying to process you know this this awful thing that's happened to his friend and then at the same time trying to carry on with his job trying to reconcile that with you know his life waiting for him at home in England and all those kinds of things and so I think that's probably I would say one of the better moments I guess Hmm. for for George in terms of his acting performance yeah yeah that's a that's a really good point thank you you are welcome (laughs) one thing I have been seeing is a lot of praise for Jeremy Irons. People online especially are loving his casting as Neville Chamberlain. And I get it. I totally believed him. He just made sense as that character, I think. You know how Gary Oldman just embodied Churchill in yeah. that film Darkest he was Hour. in? Darkest, Darkest Hour. Hour. <laughs> um, yeah, when <laughs> Gary Oldman embodied Churchill in Darkest Hour, I think Jeremy Irons is the next thing in in that kind of like prime ministerial role and i think he is fantastic as chamberlain he's the voice of scar (laughs) yes by the way i just want to point out to our listeners that ashling did not know who jeremy irons was okay he is an academy award winner and a very famous actor and she had all right you name every academy award winner ever then go on yeah but jeremy irons is like I mean, okay, he was, I'm looking, he I'm was looking Alfred in the Justice League. I've never seen the Justice League. That's not my fault. I'm just looking through like most of the things that he's been in. And genuinely, I think the only thing I've seen that he's been in is The Lion King. Which you watched today. I did watch that. Well, tried to watch today. I, mean, I was going to say, oh, he's in House of Gucci. You haven't watched that yet. Who is he? Yeah. I do want to see it. Yeah, I have no idea who he is. He was great, though. I thought he did a great job as Chamberlain. I had no issues with his performance as such. <laughs> There you go. There you go, Germans. Asher has no issues with your performance. There. Good. Take that to the bank. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's, I have to say, it's difficult for me to comment on it because, as we've said, I'm, you know, I'm not a history buff. I would not claim to know very much about Chamberlain. Probably the extent of what I know about him comes from this film and from watching The Crown. Like, that, you know, that that's probably about as much as I know. So I can't necessarily comment too much on his portrayal, I guess, or accurate portrayal of Chamberlain. But I I liked what he brought to the character. I thought he was, he certainly played him in a way that sort of earns earns your sympathy. 
you know, you're, you're on side with him quickly. But at the same time, you can kind of you see how those around him, you know, his advisors and stuff, they all I think you can kind of tell they all think they're smarter than him and they know a little bit better. And they're trying to direct him a certain way and encourage him to do certain things. And he he does sometimes come across maybe a little bit naive, which is completely believable um, in terms of what, you know, Jeremy Irons performs his performance i never once thought like oh that's really weird or that's not believable yeah he's i think he does he does really good um in my opinion he he just i don't know he just suits that character i i just mm-hmm. uh, he he has that a strong enough like presence to lead the role i also think it's quite funny that alex jennings who plays sir horace wilson plays uh the king in the crown <laughs> the king nice and the king yeah king edward King Edward, thank you. I don't remember which number. Hold on. Be the sixth, would it? No, King Edward. Edward the eighth. Edward the eighth. Um, <laughs> so Alex Jennings plays Edward the eighth, who would have been the king around yes. this kind of event. It's just it funny was. that, um, and he he now plays the advisor to Chamberlain. Interesting as well. The director of this film also directed some episodes of The Crown. Oh, maybe that's why you brought him in because then you've also got um mark lewis jones who plays yes. sir osmond cleverly yes who also is in the crown plays the professor at the university of cardiff i think it is isn't it mm-hmm. where uh, the prince of wales goes to study welsh so that could be where they got their connections or their links maybe yeah they're alumni and I, and I do want to just make a, a mention to Ulrich Mathis, who plays Hitler. Not necessarily a big name, not not well known. I think he does a lot of German films, so he might be big in Germany. Mm-hmm. Outside of Germany, I don't think he does does very much. As as weird as this is to say, he plays an excellent Hitler. Yeah. Um, as, as a sentence. Um, he is imposing in, and terrifying, to be honest with you. I think he's yeah. probably... He's probably the scariest Hitler I've seen on screen because he's not a raving madman. No. You know, this Hitler is very calm, very controlled, makes jokes, very confident, mm-hmm. uh, very sure of his position. And you often see Hitler, you know, towards the end of the war, losing power, you know, being assassinated and going crazy and getting angry. This is a very different version of that character very just controlled very very sure where what he's doing and that he's doing the right thing and that that makes him feel more dangerous and and Ulrich Mathis is excellent at that yeah because I think often Hitler is like you say portrayed as what we portrayed in the way that we talk about him now you know like he was an evil dictator he was a madman etc etc which he was but in but how he rose and came to power was that he was a smooth talking politician. I think we sometimes forget that context, you know. And so I think, yeah, it's really interesting to see this portrayal of a, a very different Hitler than we would normally see. But yeah, like you said, he, he performs it just excellently. Um, interestingly, he also uh, played Joseph Go- Goebbels, Goebbels, I don't know how you say that word, Goebbels. Mm. Um, in another film, who was like the chief propagandist for the Nazi party. So, but an awful lot of like typecasting, I feel, going on in this film. You've got <laughs> George McCain in his war films and Ulrich Matthews playing an awful lot of Nazis. Like, <laughs> I need to get these actors branching out a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're German doesn't mean you have to. <laughs> you always have to play a Nazi. <laughs> so, the music for this film. A Another fun fact for you. Ooh. 
that this film is composed by Isabel Waller-Bridge. She has done films, she's done such Fleabag, um, Emma, Summer Black Mirror, and is the sister to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the well-known actress who wrote Fleabag, helped write the recent James Bond film, No Time to Die, was brought in during that. Um, a comedian, well-loved and, and respected British writer, and um, actor. So yeah, the sister to uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge um, composed the song, the music. Says she also also in sort of story and wrote and produced Killing Eve, I believe Phoebe Waller Bridge did. Oh, okay. To give some more context to her, um, so she is a big deal. So Isabel Waller Bridge composed this this film and whilst the music isn't something i feel like i would listen to on repeat or constantly i never felt drawn out of the film by the music it always felt perfectly in place it was just kind of really kind of there just in the scene but i did love quite ironically the times when there wasn't music this is such a thing for you. It is such a thing. The <laughs> lack of music is sometimes such a powerful tool and sometimes really underused. A lot of the times, I think the first meeting or the second, the last meeting between um, Paul and Hitler was without music. The whole reason is that it draws you into the scene. It's just you and the characters on screen, you know, experiencing that emotion. And in this case, experiencing that tension and that kind of build up. And it's... It's really powerful. It's a really great tool that I love when people use it. And I always notice it really much. And so, um, yes, whilst this isn't a big kind of standout, oh, I listen to this on repeat on Spotify and find myself, you know, like humming the tunes, the music felt so in place that it just felt part of the world and completely almost unnoticeable. So I just want to point that out there. Um, Just agreed on all counts. I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so with that let's go to critics corner dun, 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 insert, dun, dun. Jingle insert jingle here <laughs> one 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 day <laughs> so what are the critics saying about this film um it's doing all right yeah it's got a uh, 6.9 out of 10 on imdb um i've lost the metacritic thing again where is it well, how Metacri- metacritic it? is 53 so it's not great no Rotten Tomatoes, it's doing a lot better. It's got 84% critic score and a 77% audience score. But that's only based on about 50-ish reviews and ratings. So it's not been super widely watched, but seems to be doing fairly well. Yeah, it's it's high-end. It's, well, it's low-high. <laughs> mid-range? Low-high. No, it's more than mid. It's higher than mid. It's like high-mid, low-high. <laughs> okay. It's a thing. We're going to make it a thing. <laughs> yeah the 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 rotten tomato score especially are way higher um and and that's that i feel is probably a better representation of the film um the metacritic score at 53 is is really quite quite a harsh yeah because even imdb has it at a 6.9 so that's kind of you know roughly on par with um with rotten tomatoes yeah i mean it's 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 reviews are all at 60 yeah and and there's like a 50 in there so i could it takes the 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 average of the mean average of all the reviews on metacritic i believe and gives it so they're all quite like 60 but yeah i i'm I'm feeling a bit hard done by by metacritic there um that's quite harsh yeah metacritic knows nothing what are they talking about yeah, we're better than them. Really? So, but in in general, it seems to have been quite a positive 
response um you know i did i did skim one scathing article in the independent which i think was more scathing of the concept of making films about world war ii and these rich powerful white men and blah 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 and i was like okay just enjoy the film for the piece of art that it is enjoy the actors performances enjoy a nice story like please calm down a little bit you know (laughs) yeah i think from what i've seen in some reviews a lot of the issues stem to the fact that people are a bit bored of world war ii really there has been a lot of war films the last couple of years i mean we've had we've had obviously we've had this we've had 1917 which i know is world war one but it's still a war film um we've had darkest hour we've had dunkirk we've had had a couple of others as well haven't we Mm. so you've got at least three really big hard hitters there in terms of Dunkirk 1970 and Darkest Hour and then this as well which and then then I'm sure there's plenty of other smaller films that we maybe haven't seen or have missed but the reality is is that this is such a huge part of our of our history it's changed Um, the world it has and it's you know the whole point of you know we all like we say that the whole point of learning about history is so that we never forget and we don't make the same mistakes again and However, we choose to, you know, remember that whether it's through academic study or through, um, you know, entertainment and art, it's not going to go away. We're always yeah. going to talk about these world wars. We're always going to talk about them and the impact they had, and talk about the stories of the people and how it affected the people. So people just need to get over it because it's going to keep happening. <laughs> yeah, and I think I also think it's important to uh, it the films about the second world war especially always baffle because it's such a a, a world changing event you know it's i want to say once a generation but it happened twice in a generation didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um in in the 1900s but you know we also should be remembering and celebrating some of the stories that happened and some of the the acts you know the the munich conference was historic and like we like we speculated earlier it might have been one of one of the many events that saved the world you know giving the the west time to prepare for the coming of the of the nazi war machine and so this could have been a very pivotal moment you don't know and we need to like i said i had no idea this conference even existed before sunday saturday when we watched this film and so you know, I, I always learn so much. I'm terrified by how crazy the war was and how many times we got so close to losing or ending or all sorts of things. And so it's we need to continue to make this a narrative so we can avoid those mistakes. I, you know, we've lived in the fear of a little bit of a World War Three a few times now, and I really don't want to go through that because, yeah. It's not not a good time. So we need to, we need to be wary of this and make sure we avoid those mistakes. And this is a great way to do it. This is a way people listen and people consume yeah. the information. This is this is a much more accessible way than trying to sit people down in like in an academic setting. Like we all, you know, learned World War Two in school. We all learned history at school, but how many of us actually remember it? I mean, we've both sat here and fumbled our way through the facts of the basics of World War Two. So clearly, we haven't done great at it. But that's the whole point is that for people like us who wouldn't consider ourselves history buffs or maybe, you know, just have forgotten the majority of what you learn at school. Films like this are an easy way to kind of bring the, I guess, the severity of of these events to light and to bring them to us now as as adults rather than like 15 year olds sitting in the classroom going, oh, I don't want to miss. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do my homework, whatever. It just kind of like we said, it just reinforces how important it is to make sure that we, you know, we we do all that we can to never allow something like this to happen again. I think it's something we need to be aware of. But these films are great for that. So 
now it's on to the important moment the reason why you all listen and that is the critics on a bus scores and summaries Woo! Woo! jingle um <laughs> ash would you like to kick us off with your summary yes. and your score please so i think on the whole this film was a bit better than i expected i had the bar set kind of low in my mind because it was a netflix film um, and so I wasn't expecting for it to have quite quite the punch that it did. But we, I really liked this film. What I personally look for most of the time with these films is, yes, I want the story. Yes, I want, you know, kind of the, the telling of the facts and I want a good resolution of the plot. But also, like you said, what I look for in this film is like the emotional payoff and the, the kind of the punch. Um, you want that wow moment at the end of like, oh, my goodness, like this is what really happened or this is how this went on to affect, you know, millions of people's lives or, or whatever it may be in the context of the film. And this film really paid paid off in, in that aspect. You know, you, I was really involved in the story of both Hugh and Paul and how it was going to how it was going to turn out and end for both of them, as well as kind of because, I, you know, as we've said, I wasn't really too too aware of the historical context. And so kind of wondering how all of that would play out in the end. And for me, it really did have that emotional punch that I like to see in these films. Yeah, great acting, great story on the whole, a very, very enjoyable film would watch again. And so for that reason, I'm going to give it a 7.5. OK, great. For me, I thought that this film was really interesting. Like you as well, I had not many expectations being a Netflix film. They're often quite disappointing to end with. But this film broke that trend. Maybe the the source material helped. Maybe the book helped them kind of flesh out that story. And maybe that's something they should be maybe doing a bit more. But we won't know until they do some more originals. The cast was really strong. They all did great parts. I don't think there was a single actor in this film who let the side down. I think everyone, you know, performed really well, really strong. And the main three of George, Janice and Jeremy in particular, I thought all led their characters, led their their individual three arcs really well right through to the resolution. And of course, we we mentioned that, that the Hitler was just terrifying, probably the scariest Hitler that I've seen. I do think the film was a little slow um, and a bit too slow. I think that the ramping up, it happened very quickly to when it became interesting and became really gripping and drawing in. I think I think the pacing was, was slightly too slow at the very beginning. And I can't quite put my finger on why it was too slow. But for me, it felt like that. I, I, I remember sitting through this and watching, oh, I hope this pays off in the end. <laughs> like I wasn't confident in it that it would pay off by the end. But it did. It did pay off at the end. We did sit there and, and was really reflective for a few moments and, you know, discussed war and the, the situation and the, the context and, you know, how our lives were affected by this moment, which means it was a successful biographical political drama thriller, whatever kind of genre this film is um, pegged into. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it was quite a successful film. Uh, for that, then, I'm going to give it a seven fair yeah i think that's good i feel like that's fair yeah well there you have it munich the edge of war it is available on netflix and netflix alone um yep it was available in some centers but probably only in america enough to get into the (laughs) consideration for some awards but it is available on netflix so do give it a watch this coming weekend or in the week and 
give us a listen after that i know a lot of you only listen to episodes for films you have seen um that's one of the biggest things people tell me so this film is worth it please give it a watch give it a give it a go then i mean you want you'll have let watch the film by the time you reach this point of the podcast anyway so <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking that i was like oh we're gonna yeah. have to cut that for the promo which is literally just you being like this is a great film watch it and then listen to our review which is the general premise of the podcast anyway <laughs> And this whole sentence is staying in the podcast because I'm editing it. Heck yeah. Um, <laughs> so before we go, we did say that in 2022, we'll have a question or poll for every episode that we do that's available on Spotify. So our poll for Munich the Edge of War <laughs> is going to be, how on board are you for the GMRCU? That is the George McKay running cinematic universe. <laughs> So be sure to find us on Spotify and vote. Let us know yes. what you think. Please let us know if you are on board for the GMRCU. That's that is all. Um please like us on Facebook and Instagram, share if you've listened to our review, rate our podcast on the different platforms that are available and that have ratings on them. Reach out to Spotify. You can now rate us on Spotify. Reach out to us if you wanna if you have if you wanna participate in the podcast, if you want you think you've got what it takes to be a guest host on Quicks and a Bus, reach out to reach out to us and let me know. It's not very difficult. You can do it. I believe in you listeners. Yeah. All you have to do is watch a film and sit and talk about it for an hour. That's about it. I do everything else. So um, <laughs> do reach out to me if you if you want to if you want to take part this year in 2022. There's plenty of films. I counted at least, and it's actually growing, at least 35 films in the cinema alone that I want to see in wow. 2022. So there's a lot of options for you guys to to come and review on them. So. It's been a slow month. January has been super slow. There's been literally zero films worth it um, in the cinema. Um, but from February, February, March, April especially, it kicks off big time in April. So let me know. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of Critics on a Bus. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates on more episodes. And we'll see you in the next one.